I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. A podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode where we watched Quentin Tarantino's 2019 classic, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing as we record this intro that we went the whole episode without doing the Quentin impression. <laughs> what a waste. All right. Okay. Uh, that's pretty good that's pretty good uh yeah we're watching this because it's a great summer hang movie and also the novelization of once upon a time in hollywood quentin tarantino's first novel releases this week uh enjoy a lot of impressions from mitchell of both leo and brad pitt throughout this today's podcast squeaky go ahead now (laughs) don't forget (laughs) And and Bruce Stern. Throw in a Bruce Stern impression in there as well. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We'll cut to our conversation already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. And away we go. And away we go. Nah, I'm good. My booze don't need nobody. <laughs> All right, we, we botched the first recording, but we're back in. That's okay. I we're jumping right into the Tarantino of it all. Because how could there's, we not? There's, there's no way to talk about it without that, and and it's weird. I I we had decided on this movie, and there was a part of me. I had a super busy weekend. Yeah. And there was a part of me that thought to myself, I could definitely record the podcast without rewatching it. Because how many times have you seen it? Um, I, I think I've seen it definitely three or four times. You know what's funny? Before. I was talking to a good friend this weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, we're doing this movie. And, you know, I've only seen it twice. So, like, it it works for me. He's like, only twice? He's like, I only watch movies, like, once ever, uh. basically. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you should hear my brother. How many times has he seen it? He's like, he, yeah, he had I, the same thing. But he said, I've only seen it four times. So, you know, this is perfect. <laughs> literally I've, I've so i've definitely seen it four times uh before before this weekend and i i was like okay i i could have a good conversation but i was like oh you know i ended up having some time this afternoon i put it on and i was my plan was i'm gonna watch as much of it skim it whatever because it's a longer movie mm-hmm. i watched the whole thing the second you so put it entertaining on, it was over. so good Everything about it is so so fantastic. I, know. I, I just I just love it. It really doesn't miss and, a beat, does it? And and the conversation that we're that we're having is like, I think this is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. Which is I th- I, I, I I think so too for me. Yeah. Want to be sensitive to a, a recency bias, but I think this is my favorite of his. So we're the question. You know, because it's hard to judge these things. But what's your top three of his nine-ish movies? Well, part of it was because I, I had the same reaction of this is this is it, man. This is his. This is it. This is his best. But it's not his best without his previous body of work because sure. it's so self-referential and it's yeah, it's it's like 
playing on his story in Hollywood then and now and his catalog and like it's so talking to itself. But even even like the kinds of stories that he's told, you know, mm-hmm. this fits into this weird trilogy of alternative rewriting history right. movies. Right. <laughs> and and that almost this one works better because the the other two came before it. Bastards and Django. Right. Is Django and, based loosely? No, no. It's just like like let's but, just go crazy. It's, it's in like this, this era. alternative yeah, yeah. It's it's imagine if. Right. Um and 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 so I, I think this one works because That plot we'll device about, serves this story the best. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. We will talk about the ending, but but I also think because a lot of people have issues with the ending I think I have absolutely zero problem with the ending because I both was not expecting it the first time I watched it but also then as it was happening I thought oh because this is Quentin and this is what he does right and so I was immediately just fine with it it's literally Uh, his signature yeah so we are we're talking about just how this movie is in dialogue with his with the rest of his catalog what's your top three um, as I said in the botch recording, the easy move here is Once Upon a Time, Pulp Fiction, and Inglorious Bastards. That's the easy move. Therefore, I will take that move with the honorary <laughs> mention of Death Proof, which no one talks about for some reason. And, I know. And strangely enough, I've seen the most amount of times out of his catalog. Yeah. And every time um, yeah, I, I mean, eat nachos, I think of the nacho scene in Death Proof. I love Death, he's so, Death Proof. He's so great. good with food in his movies. I know. It's yeah. so visceral. Um, I And all different kinds of food. I mean, I don't, I don't think about... Every time I see Trick Cereal, mm. I think about Kill Bill. Right. <laughs> um, and there's just a, the quality of that. Um, yeah, so my top three are probably the same. And I'd give an honorable mention. I have a very sentimental feelings towards the Kill Bills. Right, which we can include uh, as one. Yeah, which I'd include as one. I I was like, when I first saw them, you know, just right at this age of... And I, I'm actually a really big fan of both of them and that work as a whole. And I know most people that I talk to about them like one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Oh, the first one's so fun and the second one's boring. Or the first one is just bloody action and the second one is all the heart and story mm-hmm. and i'm just no it's it's this perfect pair uh, right right exactly how he intended like it's it's kind of a like double feature i i it's funny you mentioned the dialogue that this one is having in conversation with his movies i think about this scene early in this movie where rick and cliff are driving away from the Musso and frank's meeting with howard or marvin schwarz mm-hmm. and uh, he's complaining about how he's going to be in, uh, you know, Italian movies, mm-hmm. and Rick says to Cliff, "Nobody likes spaghetti westerns," mm-hmm. <laughs> and which is just a, a throwaway line, but it's such a funny thing that Quentin Tarantino would write that for one of his characters, right? Because spaghetti westerns, like Far and Away, has been one of the genres he's been most obsessed with, right? And, and most obsessed with emulating and paying homage to in all of his movies, right? And and so it's like to let one of his characters say that is this kind of great irony of, uh, of like this culmination of his work, right? Well, like part of obviously the themes is kind of 
aging and the world changing mm-hmm. and relevancy and you know the sco- like obviously with Rick it, the parallels between his character and Quentin's career but yeah. like doesn't it feel like like that that's written as the audience for even like I I wonder if he's in a similar vein as as Martin Scorsese in terms of his view on yes. on movie yes. culture right now. Yeah, and movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are rarer and rarer, and and maybe yeah. even like getting less popular or, or Wait, less well, relevant. It's it's hard to say because Rick Rick actually hates the spaghetti western. Rick Rick is not meaning people don't like these movies. Right, he's, he means I right. don't like these movies. But I'm wondering if he wrote that in as a you know, as this is how people feel about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I do think there's this, there is a lack of uh, kind of campy pulpy. I mean, that kind of, that kind of stuff is so much less common, both in terms of what's being produced, but also people's interest in it. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. Like I think about all the Marvel stuff this year, the basically the Disney plus shows and like they're these like wildly successful things, but they're also like WandaVision gets to go in. I know you didn't watch it, but every episode was basically a taking off of a different era of sitcoms. Hmm. And, but I don't like, and people were like glowing about how, Oh, how innovative the show was to do an I love Lucy homage and you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, no, this is just popular because it's Marvel. And, if it was actually a show that was not associated with this intellectual property doing making these great right. choices and doing it better it wouldn't be popular at all right and and so the the intellectual property then elevates it to to this kind of place of you know genre busting you know tv programming and people are like oh this is so great and deep and WandaVision was fine right um it, it's it's nothing like what he's doing in this movie. The confidence that he that oh my the confidence God. with which he moves throughout this movie is astounding to me. From the from the first second of like hello there, we're interviewing. Yes, it's like yes. oh my kid, we're in and we're going, and it's a Quentin movie, and I'm in good hands. Uh, it, it's like such a yeah. unique choice, but so effective. Yeah, I mean, and and all throughout. I mean, I think one of the reasons that that Pulp Fiction was so uh, was was such a big deal. I mean, I think it's a a great movie. Um, one of the reasons it was such a big deal was people at the time felt like, oh, you can do this mm. in a movie, right? I mean, and it's not. I mean, it's the big stuff. It's the disjointed narrative structure. It's that you know. It's like the famous stuff, but it's also you know the beginning of. Um, Pulp Fiction, where Honey Bunny and Pumpkin stand on the diner table and they start yelling. Right. But the, you know, there's a freeze frame, but the audio keeps going, and then the, music the title out. card and the music blasts, and it's like this total confusion of audio editing. And I remember the first time I saw it, I thought something was wrong with the DVD we were watching it on. Right. And and it's like, oh no, you could just do this with a movie. He just does what he wants. He just does what he wants. He does that all the time in here. It's the it's the scene in the the scene at Musso and Frank's early in the movie, and he's like, oh this oh this is my my buddy Cliff. He's driving me around while my right. car is in the shop. Cut to a narrator all of a sudden. It's a stuntman Mike. Of, yeah, 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 it is Kurt Russell. That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> yeah, you know, little flash this little you know vignette of Rick getting a DUI or whatever. 
and then we don't hear the narrator again for two hours. <laughs> it's similar to um, Samuel Jackson in introducing Stiglitz in Inglorious, because yes. that's like yeah. Samuel's only contribution. Like y- yeah. you think, like oh, he's gonna have a rhythm of th- this narrator doing he's gonna this. Do th- he's gonna do this for every one of the bastards. Yeah, it's like, like no, he just had fun here. He's like no, no, we, we just just for Stiglitz, like, and it's great. Bow <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but so a lesser director would do the thing of like okay now we're gonna do this seven times right right <laughs> and and i think he what's so great about him is he understands the value of uh, uh scarcity mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. of just kind of giving you this taste of a reference of a moment of this this tiny thing yeah and and that is just propelling you forward constantly in his movies. Yeah, it's like on a song where it's like, oh, there's just mm. like the like the you know horn section does something mm-hmm. on this verse, and then it doesn't. And touch, it kind of lifts it a little bit, and then it doesn't touch it again. And you're like, yeah, I have to re-listen for that one moment. Yeah, and that's why I mean, I think about like those top three Tarantino movies. I think I've always said Inglorious Bastards is like his best. And it's always been my favorite, mm-hmm. and, and Pulp Fiction's like this kind of important favorite, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I think Bastards has some of the some of these really key two in particular key dialogue heavy driven scenes. The scene in the farmhouse, the scene in the basement um, bar, the pub or whatever. Yeah. And those are like unmatched. Like the, to watch those scenes, that's not yeah. unreal. The basement uh, one particularly for me is one of the most like I'm cozied in with popcorn just so purely enjoying this hot tub like feeling of a movie you know yes yes and the the like he's so relaxed in his pace yeah but it's not slow at the same time no not at all you're not getting sleepy or starting to like okay you know like i like with like tarkovsky movies it's mm-hmm. slow in a I've got to like engage and be like reflective and thinking about it's like this is slow but in a I'm being lazy rivered you know yeah yes very much so you're just being pulled along yeah and and there's you know some of that here uh, though I don't understand anyone who complains about the slow pacing of this movie is that like, a is that a common yeah yeah movie's so slow nothing happens I'm like what are you talking about the people watching TikToks all day it's like 30 seconds this is so i think i think that's what bastards has going for it right it's got these incredible you know these these scenes that he's just just incredible piece of writing Mm -hmm. and then i think hollywood is a culmination of him as a filmmaker as a director as a narrative storyteller his narrative structures here um i mean just moving so confidently like this uh this to me is is I think I understand the the merits of saying you know Bastards is his technical masterpiece or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, this may be a little shaggier. But I think I think the degree of difficulty on something like this is harder. Right. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's like fuzzy in its nostalgia too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We we'll talk about that. I I want to say kind of early in the pod. We picked this because it just feels like a good summer movie. It's summer. We we had a lull, but also really good timing because you know what comes out this week, Mitchell? Tell me. The Quentin Tarantino's first novel. Really? Yes. 
What is? Do you know what it's called? I do not know what it's called. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. The novelization of the film. I, I did know that actually. Amoeba Records yes, Instagram told me about it. Yeah. So his the Tarantino's novelization of his own movie the, comes out this, this week, and on what the 29th of June I think, and um, and I've I've heard it's great and like the cover is like, great. Did, Look at that type. I know. He just did like deep dives into like the film catalogs of. Uh, of Rick Dalton and really oh gets into gosh. Cliff's I, backstory. I love the slogan: Hollywood, nineteen sixty nine. Dot dot dot. You should you should have been you should have been there. <laughs> yeah, you should have been there. I love it. Um, so I I ordered that back in January. It's coming this week. I'm excited hey to yo. get get into that. Um, and the other thing that's cool: it was Father's Day a year ago. Um, some really good friends of mine got me this. I brought it to share with you on the pod the uh, deluxe edition of the blu-ray of once upon a time in hollywood mm. the best part about it is it came with that's why i mean he's just he's great it comes with the with a uh, vinyl of a couple of the songs on the soundtrack oh we've been listening to the soundtrack today oh it's so good well my favorite is i've i have the movie poster for rick dalton's um uh, Operazione Dynamite. It's funny. I thought that was the goofiest one that they mentioned of his like European. I know. Movies. I know. It's so funny. And it's like the the cap that he's wearing and I know the read all and about this, it like, cap. And this look, the smirk. And it's this. And it's like looks like this poor, terribly poorly made movie, but like filmed it dark as he's like driving around wherever and flying over bridges. But golly, uh, the amount of work just for a side reference like I someone know. had to it's design great. that poster i know yeah <laughs> just it's, for it's like so great. half a second to show that he was in a movie i and it's so cool too i i mean and i know you just watched the great escape relatively recently right yes which is uh, also why i suggested this movie i wanted to relive yeah and like the way he inserts that and i nobody i never think of quentin tarantino as somebody who's doing anything with special effects but the quality of that stuff to put Leo in the Steve McQueen part in like real scenes from Hollywood movies, it's it's amazing. It's amazing the and, the and quality of care. Right, and it's funny how much Leo wasn't a good fit for the role. No, I know. <laughs> I think he did that on purpose. It's like yeah, Steve, Steve kind of nailed this. Uh, um. Okay, so uh, I uh, there's tons of directions we can go, Mitchell. But um, uh, how do you want to start? Where do you want to start with really getting into our conversation? I I also want to say because um, this is movies while they sleep. I think we have found the patron saint of our podcast, and you know who that is, right? I don't. It's Marvin Schwartz himself, who had a movie night with his wife. We watched Tana. Oh my god! I was and then just she went to bed, and I watched another movie. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was just gonna say where I want to start is with the montage of that guy. I, I had a cognac, <laughs> I got a cigar, and he like his little like and a fourteen fistimaclus <laughs> sneaking over to his chair, like ducking under his uh, projector. I'm like, this is all I've ever wanted in life. <laughs> I had a uh, cognac. No, it's and, uh, <laughs> and it's like again food montage. It's like perfectly framed up over ice, 
he's picking a cigar and I'm losing my and Sarah looks over at me because again I'm breaking the premise and she's like this is all you've ever wanted in life I'm like I know the 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 giddiness that he has as he's got his his drink and his cigar and he is going to watch a motion picture <laughs> like the ritual is... the respect for ritual yes absolutely and you I felt, know I feel there's that. ac going on too in that room of <laughs> i his, know i know that home theater is <laughs> golly uh, and 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 how and marvin schwarz does it while his wife is asleep <laughs> who who plays him uh, al pacino of course al pacino uh yeah. <laughs> i know because i you know i remember first seeing that move this movie in theaters and that scene came up and i was yeah and i was actually like like okay i'm still like trying to get my bearings because this is a new yeah, quinton early, movie. very early on yeah yeah and, and so i was kind of like i i wasn't as engrossed and now every time i watch it, i'm like i love this i know it sets know. the scene so perfectly he's already jumping into some movie history for the sake of us, yeah, and showing yeah. showing these clips of of uh, Rick Dalton movies, it's so great. Educating just, people throws you right in about like how like Hollywood would would recycle stars, or, or yeah. like how just a glimpse into how Hollywood worked in that time. Yeah, you know? I love all of that. Yeah, and, and it it uh, feels like Quentin's one of the few who cares enough to talk about it. Yeah, I mean this reverence I, for history. And it's this, and it is kind of a funny thing because the conversation is about like TV stars, network TV stars in the '60s, and television is such a different medium from movies. Where we've watched movies on this podcast that were made in the '60s that people still watch today, but nobody's going back and watching old episodes of FBI from the '60s. Right. <laughs> like, like a TV as a medium has, I think, only in the last few decades. Uh, created, you know, works that are going to stand for for a long time in the way that film has been doing much much longer. Works that people have the reverence for. Yeah, yeah. The and respect are for. Seek out and are going to seek out, and there's a quality to them where TV didn't really have that. But Quentin's still like endlessly fascinated by how actors get recycled in that system and how they did at that time and so he he makes it the centerpiece basically the kind of emotional prompting of uh, uh of rick dalton's whole character mm -hmm. because he goes from this meeting with marvin shores to you know the makeup of this pilot where he's gonna play the heavy again right and, get, and his conflict God. about that his is this what i should be doing and 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 the then the whole theme of of aging of um, out outliving your usefulness. <laughs> what it's a, what an introduction. I love Leo in this. I love him. I love Rick. I love everybody in this movie, and except for my pure hatred for the Manson family. I know. I know. And it's it's I, like that. That's the thing about the end that people like. Ooh, like. Uh, what people complain about the end, but they also don't. I I don't know. I'm just like Quentin's pure hatred for the, yeah. for this movement and this, yeah. um, you know, this stealing of life that had so much to give to even to Hollywood. You know, this assault yes. on Hollywood. Yeah, he, it's it's like I. It, it's similar to Inglorious, where it's like I despise this so much. 
that I will wreak my revenge, seek my revenge on it. And the funny thing is, it's so intensely personal to him. We're talking about the ending. It's so personal to him because Quentin Tarantino really views the Manson family murders as this the end of this classic golden age of Hollywood. Right. That that was the shift. Like that could happen to, you know, Hollywood royalty. Yes. The fact that that could happen to. Yes. It's this seismic shift in the industry and it just propels all of the culture into the 70s. And there's like, there's so much more going on, you know, culturally that is moving moving the whole world in that direction vietnam all of the politics of the day so you get to the 70s but but cinema in the 70s is all dark and gritty and paranoid and 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 it's not just because of the manson murders but that feels like this decisive moment it's it's the decisive end of the 1960s when that that deeply paranoid cynicism of the 70s is is brought in and and he's like Quentin Tarantino's pissed about it right he 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 really laments that he's such and a lover of nostalgia of like yes. periods of time yeah so when things like wrench him out of that yeah but then you kind of take a step back and look at the historical record of this it's an i mean the manson family charles manson's evil and not a good person uh, and and but part of the the but it fits into this this lineage of quentin tarantino films because the manson family wanted to start a race war in la mm-hmm. and charles manson in prison had a swastika carved into his forehead right <laughs> oh my Which, gosh i forgot about that <laughs> so you can reflect back on his previous alternate history movies and see how the the manson family is wanting to start a race war mm-hmm. is is in the lineage of white supremacy and racism in this country right that we never resolved after slavery never truly resolved after slavery right which is addressed in Django. right and then and but then also how Manson is inspired by, has ideas from, propelled by the the work um, and and movement of Hitler and the Nazis. Right, it's all and connected. Also, also addressed in in Inglorious Bastards. Have you? And so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just gonna do a bit of a tangent of that that chaos book about the Manson murders. Have you heard about it? I don't know. Uh-uh. Uh, basically, it was this uh, reporter like journalist guy who was tasked with writing a just an article it was the 30 year anniversary of the manson murders in the 90s and Mm. he was supposed to like do some interviewing kind of like just do a quick article for a magazine and it turned into like a 30 year research journey for this book that just came out a couple years ago and it's all about like hollywood the manson murders fbi and how they're all like entangled and like all this mm. like FBI testing of psychedelic drugs on hippies purposely to serve their purpose. You know, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I rented it from the library and I read half of it. It is because I watched once upon a time, like, oh, you know, yeah. six months ago or a year ago or whatever. And it, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. It like just how meshed that, that stuff yeah. is culturally outside of just Hollywood, you know? Yes. Yeah. And so I don't think it's an accident that I think I think Tarantino's aware of. Oh right, he. I mean, obviously, I mean, when he 
when he made Bastards and he has Aldo, Brad Pitt's character carving swastikas into people's foreheads, obviously that's some, some ironic reference to Manson. Right. And he's aware of that. He he's 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 a smart guy. He you know he's holding all of these things in. He's got photographic memory, from what I've read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's saying his attention uh, to detail. It's insane. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and and I I I mean that's how I feel about the ending. The ending to me is, it's, it's right there in the title. It's his fairy tale. <laughs> that's the amazing trick of the movie is hitting yeah. that title at the end like that. You're like once upon a yeah. time. Oh my gosh! Immediately, yes. I'm like, I wish this was the story. Yeah, I, and it's almost as if the 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 fairy tale starts then, right? And that last frame, like if the trajectory was changed like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it. The ending to me is such a a well pulled off magic trick mm. that, and, and I want to be. I want to be careful because I, I've seen this movie a number of times now. It, that's how I felt when the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. But I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that, like, it still works so immensely well. Right. The The fact that he knows... People are expecting you, violence throughout the whole movie. It, it, he's, he's playing with so many different things. So he, he there's basically no violence for the first two hours of this movie. You think that he's going to jump into like some Kill Bill mode stuff when uh, Cliff is at the ranch and his yeah. car has been uh, cut, his tires have yes. been slashed. Yeah. And it gets a little violent, but it doesn't get like, you know, Quentin violent. No, no. It's a deserved punch to the face. And, and, and even like Tex coming back. And Cliff's gone. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, again, we're, yeah. we're pacing this thing out. Yes. So he, he plays with your expectations for a Quentin Tarantino movie, again, in conversation with his, his own catalog. Right. And then he also plays with your expectations for what any regular moviegoer may or may not know about Sharon Tate and the Manson murders. Right. And Like, we're all kind of dreading. Yeah. Oh, There's this God, sense of dread that's building. Murdered. Yeah. And then he ratchets it up when it's the six months later and it's the day of, and all of a sudden Kurt Russell as the narrator comes back in. And you and feel starts, uneasy. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, it's the night of, she's pregnant, we know what's coming. Yeah, and he starts giving you the, at 5.30, at 8.30, at 10.15, at, you know, and it's, and it's, and and I think it, that's the brilliance of that whole sequence mm-hmm. is that I have no idea if any of that, it, it, I don't know if any of the stuff about Sharon Tate and her friends and the time they went to the restaurant or any if that is true. Maybe it is or maybe it's not. But it feels like it is when I'm watching the movie because that's what the narrator is telling me. Right. <laughs> Even like the throw, throwaway line, it was later reported it was the hottest day of the year. Like right. this, let's put in some true facts. It's the Fargo thing mm-hmm. of... If we could, if we call it a true story Upfront. with enough confidence, um, and and so you you are just you know what's going to happen, you know what's going to happen, you know what's going to happen, and the game the first time I was watching it was okay. How do Rick and Cliff? How do they fit into this? Are they going to find the bodies? Like what? Like right. I just assumed we were headed towards what terror is, you know, like or even seeing yeah. Charlie for more than. Um, you know, 30, yeah. 30 seconds. He's, I mean, he's in, yeah, 45 seconds at most. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then 
you don't get any of that. It's this entirely different ending. And <laughs> and and it's it's you know, this deviation from the real timeline and Tarantino, it's his catharsis. Right. And and it's so interesting to me because it's like playing with nostalgia as a like he's got nostalgia for this time, he wants to correct history, but also we have a desire for catharsis in storytelling. Right. That's, that's why a story in a movie is a safe place to let like, that experience out. this yeah. and let that out. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. I don't know. Yeah, like the um, the shootout in Django. You're like, yeah. how great is this? Yeah, and like that's... the wishful like I wish this happened <laughs> almost. Yeah, you know, or there's a there's yeah. a release of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, I watched the movie tonight, and there's five minutes of very violent content. <laughs> and we're all like, yeah. <laughs> and and it's hard to watch. It, it's definitely hard to watch, but as a sick person, I'm also, like, smiling. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm so glad that that guy didn't get to say that cheesy-ass line of, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work <laughs> to, like, you know and actually murder someone and a kid, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I love Rick being like, nah, I was dumber than that. <laughs> Cliff. Cliff, yeah. That, yeah. Just yeah. roasting this guy. I'm like, yes, this is yeah. my preferred version of this story. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, because there are, there are other Tarantino movies that are violent that I, ha- that I actually really do struggle with. I think Hateful Eight is... Hateful Eight's a tough watch. That's... I don't understand. Like I, I, I mean, I understand the movie, but I, I, I feel like he must be making some sort of commentary on violence, but it just feels so sadistic. Like, yeah, in in I, many scenes, yeah, like so constantly. I just, it's not. It's it's, not for it's me. in the title. It, it, there's yeah, there's little redemption, you know. Yeah. Or yeah, reason I guess. Yeah. Um, that felt like a weird, a weird movie. Like even, yeah. even I remember the marketing and rollout for when it was coming out, and it felt not at all um, thoughtful. Yeah. Like most of his stuff is, it was just like kind of a random weird trailer that wasn't even a trailer. Yeah. It's like all right, it's out. Yeah, I mean, I think he was really trying to do put some restrictions on himself and do something slightly more experimental by doing the panoramic wide shots in this tiny little house and how do you, how do you do this kind of, this kind of story? And I just, it doesn't work as well for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are definitely moments. Um, the stew monologue is great. The opening shot is great. Yeah. Yeah. The score is awesome, but man, we're not here to talk about the hate plate. Um, so, um, did we talk about how great Leo is? No, not really. Okay, I want to have a conversation about Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie. To me, it's insane that he did not win an Oscar for this. Um, Tough year. I, do you remember not, who, who not won for that year? Best Actor, but for move like yeah. I I, yes. I kind of like I love Parasite. I'm glad it yeah. won, but just as a like token of Quentin's career and possibly his best movie. I know. I I kind of just wish it won best picture me too or he or me best too. director one of them you know who won best um, actor um went to joaquin phoenix for joker 
I didn't like Joker. I didn't either. I know that's a <laughs> hot take. I don't think it's a hot take. I just don't think it's a very good movie. Um, and I, like, it was definitely, it's definitely the thing that has happened over the last few years with the Oscars where the, the train starts going for someone, especially in these acting categories, and there's basically no stopping it. Yeah, it was like in the summer. It was like the movie hadn't come out yet, and people were like, oh, Joker's winning. Yeah. Or, Quint, or what's Joaquin's uh, Joaquin, winning. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think his performance is good in it, but I think his performance in, like, The Master is better. The Master like, is so good. <laughs> like, the better version. Not that, that, not that the, the guy in The Master or the Joker are the same, but you know what I'm saying. Like, right. The, the, there's the, the a kind couple of insanity of it. moments in Joker that I'm, I'm yeah. um, amazed by or, or really transported by, but for the most part, I was like, I don't like this. No, and so, so for me with Leo, everybody points to Wolf of Wall Street as like he didn't win for that and maybe he should have. Mm-hmm. And I think he's good in that. I think he's the right fit for that. There's a lot of fat on that movie. That's my problem yeah. with that movie. I don't, I don't think the performance is that uh, difficult or uh, interesting to me. I mean, he gets to play this very fun, terrible character, right? Right. Uh, but he wins for The Revenant which is just like, let's put Leo through hell and give him his Oscar. Right. And I'm, it's fine. I'm glad he has one. But this is this is the best thing he's ever done. I know. He, and he, it's, The things he's having to do of act within yeah. acting. Yeah. Like, like and, pretending to act bad sometimes <laughs> and then be frustrated about their acting, but he's acting that he's pretending to be bad at, you know? It's like, and oh my the, god! The style of acting as a 1969 TV show oh, right. is different than player a chili pepper movie. hard out <laughs> line. <laughs> uh, when he com- when he comes out of that saloon with that fried chicken, oh my, oh my he tosses it. <laughs> he probably had so uh, much fun on this thing. I know, I know, but but it's not just him playing an actor and he has to do these different levels or types of acting mm-hmm. it's also then he has to play this incredibly insecure tv movie star and depending I'm a on has the been, scene old buddy <laughs> depending on the scene he has to carry around different degrees of like put upon confidence uh, it's official, old buddy. I'm a has been. <laughs> it's but that's it. Like he goes from the meeting with Al Pacino, Marvin Schwartz character, like totally confident. I'm Rick Dalton, to crying in the parking lot in front of the valets <laughs> with Cliff. It's too good. Uh, to to then being on set and being confident and trying to get his way through the scene to him in his trailer absolutely screaming at himself for Six drinking too many whiskers hours. hours. Three would have been plenty. <laughs> well, that's it. That is it. I'm not drinking anymore. And then he takes a swig from his flask. I know. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, he's pretty amazing. Yeah, Pretty amazing I just, in this. It, it's it's an incredible performance. I love the the Brad Pitt of it all too. I mean, oh my god! Like, is has he ever been more scary and charming at the same time? 
I know. Oh, <laughs> oh my Rewatching gosh. one of my favorite moments is I'm coming through that door, and this <laughs> flips the screen door in her nose isn't stopping me and it's like the most gorgeous <laughs> smile <laughs> I know. it's like dude this guy who might have murdered his wife <laughs> i think this is what is so amazing about this movie never i mean i, I cliff cliff booth tarantino's writing and brad pitt's performance there isn't to me that's a, such a singular pairing mm-hmm. but this movie has two of them because rick dalton and tarantino's writing is the same like level right of like he does this twice in the same movie with these two different actors and these two absolutely indelible incredible characters yep it's insane yeah and it's like the the trio of leo brad and um what's her name margot robbie yes where it's like they're like peak and kind of on the way out like career wise, age wise, like their yeah. absolute peak, you know. Yeah. And she is like up and coming, rising. Both like Sharon. That was Sharon Tate, and yeah. it's also Margot Robbie. Like it's kind of freaky the parallels that he's drawing yeah. in the real world. And she's incredible. She's amazing. I I, I don't understand the um, controversy or problems people had with her can, her role yeah. or depiction in this movie. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Well, from what, what I was the controversy from what I remember, and it might be yeah. deeper than this, but it was that this movie is problematic, and Quentin is problematic for what for Margot Robbie not like having a ton of dialogue, and therefore, like he disrespects women or something. It's something like that. It's crazy. It's, it's kind of she doesn't have a ton to do, and. <laughs> It's like you, it's like you know she didn't like he. What if he didn't write that character at all? Like, I, I just <laughs> and it's like there, I, there's such a clear uh, like joy for this character and love. Oh my god! And, af- yeah. and like affirmation and respect and and like like a deep love with how he treats yeah. this character. That it's so gentle. It's so so yeah. much care. And, and it's about, like, what, you want this this woman who was murdered while she was pregnant to have, like, all this dialogue that she didn't actually say? Because how could we know yeah. for him to write because that? Because then that would, that would just be the controversy. Oh, like, in retrospect, like, if he did have a bunch of dialogue, it'd be like, how dare he put yeah. words in her mouth or I think, saying? Right? Like, Maybe. People definitely just, like I, having problems with his movies lately. Mm-hmm. And but it's interesting. Like I think about that scene with her sitting in the movie theater watching herself on the screen, mm-hmm. and there's almost no reason for that sequence. Like right, <laughs> other than Quentin just loves Sharon Tate and he loves Margot Robbie, and he just wants her to be able to be joyful on the screen. Well, and I read like the comparison too of like that story of him doing this at a theater where he went to the kiosk and was like, I made this movie. Can I see it? And she's saying, I'm starring in it. Can I get in for free? But like, she's a direct in that moment, at least reflection of even his love and joy for movie making. And yes, you know, and, and like, I don't, maybe sounds crass or whatever, but in that, in that kind of way of thinking about and understanding the scene, 
Margot Robbie as a Sharon Tate character that's the most like honored role in the whole movie. Right, exactly. She's she's the director stand-in. Right. And 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 as the Tarantino stand-in, her job is to just revere movies. Right. <laughs> and there's no reason to keep returning to her sitting in a theater watching the wrecking crew. Right. But he does and like enjoying people enjoying her performance. Yeah. The thing that she made, you know, you know, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue in that scene, but it's not like it's, it's not, I mean, it's, you only see her face. There's nothing about her body. You know, there's, it's, it's just seeing the joy on this actress's face. Mm -hmm. And, and then obviously the, and, and, and again, I mean, he just does whatever he wants where earlier in the movie or, or at some point in the movie, we see Leo digitally put into the great escape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he could have done that with the wrecking crew. He could have digitally put in Margot Robbie mm-hmm. in the Sharon Tate thing. Instead, he just plays the movie as right. is and trust you to figure it out <laughs> right. and not be weird, you know, weird about it. But he just loves Sharon Tate and he wants to, Put her. He wants to put her in his movie. He wants to avenge her death. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Which yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, all, I just yeah, don't. All three I, of these leads. Yeah, I just don't understand the the yeah. backlash to this. It's just not not a thoughtful um, interpretation to me. Yeah. But. Yes, I mean I understand. On the surface, all of these things are like kind of the typical things that garner negative attention and criticism but i don't i i don't know i don't want to be the tarantino sycophant and defender Mm -hmm. but i I mean are we watching the same movie i mean right like Like there's some actual some meat to the criticism but i don't think there is i think it's people wanting clicks and and wanting to have their takedown opinion i mean there's just the problem is that there's so many movies that that actually make these errors and offenses. Right. They're just not good movies, so they don't get attention. Right. It's like he's a big name, so yeah. It's you're gonna get clicks on BuzzFeed for writing an article of like, is this problematic? It's like, <laughs> who cares? Is it a good movie? Okay. One of the things I loved about this movie, switching gears a little bit is the way he and this is something that I was obsessed with as a kid. Okay. I I mean, and and we grew up in this era where like we were still young at the beginning of the DVD era mm-hmm. and the big selling point for DVDs was special features. Right. And we would watch Shrek the, the the behind the scenes of the Shrek DVD. Right. Like my We would we would watch the like the storyboard only deleted scenes of the Emperor's New Groove. Right. <laughs> Just because we like finish the movie and we still exist and have nothing to do. Yeah. I can't tell you how many hours of behind the scenes Lord of the Rings content I've consumed. Um, I could tell you about the Weta workshop in New Zealand <laughs> where they created all the all the you know creatures in those movies. But so so for me, what I was always really interested in is what was real and what was not real in movies Hmm. and and then how they and how they kind of through movie magic uh uh, created this thing (coughs) and he plays with that in this movie because the central relationship is 
actor and stuntman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the, it's the very first sequence, the behind the scenes, we're here on the set of Bounty Law. Right. And you're not seeing double. <laughs> like, it feels like a DVD special feature explaining what a stuntman does. Right. <laughs> and 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 I was endlessly fascinated by this as a kid. And in this movie, I think, on a couple of different levels, plays with what's real and what's not. Um, I, I think I'll give a, an example of, of how he does this in a really clever way. Um, I think it's the, it's the second day. So it's, um, it's the Sunday and Rick Dalton is shooting, um, Lancer. He's shooting the Lancer. We get this long extended Lancer scene in the saloon. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's kind of like him interrupting his movie now for us watching Rick Dalton as this villain just doing this whole scene. And then, you know, it comes to a head when he can't remember his line and he's pissed at himself. Right. But that's Tarantino giving us a Western for eight minutes. Right. Or whatever it is. Cut from there to Cliff on at Spawn Ranch and Tex riding on a horse through the hills and we're watching an actual Western. Right. <laughs> like that's the real western and then rick is on the fake one Mm -hmm. the stuntman the guy who does all the real stuff is the one who experiences the real thing right and the actor is on the controlled set wow and 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 it's it's like pitch perfect one right up next to to the other yeah and like and uh, this is what he's so confident because and one is real like 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 even with text like has a like riding scene of like a chase. Yes, you know? that this huge like tracking crane shot over as Texas like flying into Spawn Ranch as Cliff is peeling out in the car. Yeah, I mean that su- that shot is is in its kind of grandeur belongs in a western. Right, and there's nothing like that on the set of Lancer. <laughs> <laughs> Mezcal dose. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way i'm gonna make a mezcal uh cocktail to, to okay. have along with this movie and we'll post the recipe on social there you go. This week. check that out um but i i i love that like just in the that's the narrative structure is this kind of constant interplay of reality stuntman actor history real, not real yeah rewriting and and then and it's all pointing towards the ending, and then and then I, and this is what I ask you about. We have um, Cliff and Rick as unreliable narrators of their own past, because Rick lies about his driving situation, and his car being in the shop, mm-hmm. and then there's this thing, there's this cloud hanging over Cliff on the set of every movie he's on about maybe he killed his wife, right? And but even like, you know. All there was a big was the other controversy about this movie. Do you remember? No, the Bruce Lee scene. Oh right, like His the Bruce family Lee family was estate happy. was not happy with the portrayal of Bruce Lee, and blah blah blah. I don't know. How do you interpret that sequence? Um, I mean, one that Rick is just remembering Cliff. Cliff mix them up as is the trope for the podcast um (laughs) like i don't know it's tough because you you could say cliff is just remembering it through his own rose-colored glasses of like yeah Yeah. i kind of beat him um 
but he has that moment when he comes out of that memory and he's like all right yeah and, he, and he's saying that as a like yeah i, I deserve to be fired on that set you know yeah and i'm like eh, i don't think you would have that if it was a exaggerated history yes or so exaggerated you know because to the, be honest i don't mind it either way yeah exactly and, and they're like I don't think Quentin hates Bruce Lee or something. I, no, I think I that think it is Quentin Tarantino adores Bruce Lee, right? And that's why he put him in his movie. And even later, when um, for the Wrecking Crew, like Bruce Lee taught Sharon Tate how to do a yeah. scene, and they're kind of cutting back to that and the joy of that, and her gain to yeah, you know, it, giving him credit. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I like. Okay, well, then the, the I guess the real question is, did Cliff kill his wife? I'm, I'm going to go yes. <sighs> wow. You're saying no? I always say no, but that's just because I love Cliff and I don't want I don't want my guy to have killed his wife. Yeah, but he was, <laughs> she was so annoying. <laughs> if you hear that, <laughs> you're like, good God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I'll get chewed out for that. I've been chewed out before though. <laughs> Him, Cliff and uh Al- Aldo, is that his name? And Inglorious, yeah. they're like the same character. Oh yes. No, there is certainly a similarity between between there. Um the other thing I was going to say this connection of the the Rick and Cliff and the way they experience their different realities then all plays out at the end. Right. Cliff is the one who actually beats up and kills the hippies. Right. And Rick just thinks he saves the day when he tortures that one in the pool. <laughs> Torture. Oh yeah, she's burnt to a crisp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, the stuntman carrying the load. This incredible moment of, you know, five, six, seven, eight minutes of this violent, you know, brawl in his living room, and Rick is completely oblivious. Honestly, it's one of my favorite shots of him in the pool on that floaty thing and just like vibing out to music. And then she bursts through and he freaks out. It's so funny. He freaks out. It's so funny. Golly. Uh, no, I just. Um, I, I, and that to me, all of this that we're talking about is why the movie is so thoughtful. Mm. I, I can see that, I mean, I can just, you can see what he's doing and not in, in this overt way where it's distracting, right. but in, oh, okay, there's a reason it's a stunt man and an actor. Right. Like, let's, let's explore that idea and what he's saying and what Hollywood is and how, I mean, how fake it is, right? Like, the real Western, I mean, even, like, Cliff's real Western that we talk about with Tex and the horses and stuff takes place on a movie set, on an old, defunct movie set right? <laughs> called Spawn Ranch. Um, and so it's just, just constant playing with what's real and what's not. And so we have nostalgia for... What's her name? <laughs> <laughs> The podcast, if all it is, is <laughs> me talking about movies and you interrupting me. <laughs> Just with the random references to the movie. <laughs> she hates it when I fall asleep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
then but then like on the set of Lancer when um uh, Rick is talking to I think her name is Trudy the child actress right child, excuse which me. is like excuse the, me the sleep child actor the sleeper pick of oh. the, of this movie like where where did that performance come from yeah she's so good but she makes him call her by her character's name while she's on set right. she doesn't eat lunch because she doesn't want to be sluggish like method actress you, actor yeah yeah meth, a real method actor um, if there ever was one but it, it's and and Rick is in total you know uh, Rick fashion completely flabbergasted by this idea right uh, he does not really know how to deal with this right and he comes around and and then he's able to give his really good performance uh, I mean even that scene when he's reading he's reading a western that is about yeah. a character who's jumped the shark and doesn't know yeah. if they'll ever be what they used to be and I'm like this is Rick. This is the character in the book he's reading. This is Quentin. This is the state yeah. of Hollywood. This is it's Leo. It's Leo and Brad. Yeah. It's like I. I think part of what I walked away, and I do every time, is like kind of a a bit of sadness, at the end of one that this isn't how it actually went down, that a I much know. more terrifying reality what you know occurred. But yeah. also just that aging and that nostalgia and losing that and yeah. the fading, you know, of whether it's your career or a time that you look back on that you have such reverence for or or even like I feel it a lot lately with just the disappearance of physical media. Yeah. You know, like, sure. I mean, even even like the great montage of famous hollywood uh hot spots like their neon yeah. signs lighting up and we see the uh what's it called cinerama movie theater yeah. Yeah. which we now know to be closing it, it, in limbo is but uh, right now as as of now closing yeah well it, it closed and there, there's hopefully gonna be a new owner that brings yeah. it back to life but just that that sense of like like some some of Hollywood and and or like going to the movies feels felt like an untouchable thing up until even this past year where it's like yeah. there'll always be theaters and it's like you know people are pretty satisfied with just like yeah. turning whatever dumb movie is out this month straight on your TV and it, yeah. there's a real sadness there for like the the world's lost when when stuff like that goes away like even going yeah. to a video store and like. I know. talking to people and and do it like going somewhere you know and looking yeah. and looking at art like box cover art and trying to decide what you want to watch like yeah there's a visceral nature to it that is going away yeah so that that's kind of the sadness i feel walking away from this movie is like it, the fading of things you know yeah i feel the the movie it feels so kind of self-contradictory as as i'm watching it I just am constantly filled with joy of a good hangout movie. Right. Yeah, like like Rick and Cliff watching his episode of yeah. I don't think it's Bowling Law, it's like FBI. It's FBI. Yeah, and they're like, There I am, there I am. They're pointing yeah, yeah. and they're having snacks. I'm like, Oh man, I feel that for like high school days watching something with friends. And even oh, in even, that even moment, I, moment I feel, you know, that time is gone. And I love the moment in that where, you know, Leo's looking through the 
cracked glass car window in his FBI episode, and Cliff says, oh, that's a cool shot. Like, right. Just two dudes talking about a thing. <laughs> yeah. And, or like an actor, he's like, like, that guy's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like, even the, the, you know, the last 45 minutes of the movie, the part of that premise for their night their is, night of is debauchery last, it's their last big hang right as, as buddies um before rick's married you know rick's married now he's he's gonna sell his house and get a condo and like he can't afford to keep cliff around i mean it's this everything around him is fading and what is he gonna do and and, and then obviously tarantino spins it as a fairy tale by the end and there seems to be a solution in the form of you know Sharon Tate still being alive and Roman Polanski not being wrecked by his wife and unborn child dying and then doing whatever creepy things he did after that. Right. Um, but it, 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 it's it, like it, Rick it, joining new Hollywood. Yeah. And, and, and being welcomed into it, you know, that's what I imagine is like the sequel or the continuing story of once upon a time is like Roman Polanski got to be a great director and didn't have to have this baggage. Like he's trying to rewrite not just the Sharon Tate of it all, but other things. Right. Because or because, even the direction of Hollywood in general. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we move on to segments that you want to talk about with this movie? Uh, I mean, I just you know was doing some reading and and just the one the references to his work, which like some of them are obvious, like like the Inglorious Bastards balcony scene of when the Nazis are killed in the theater and, and yeah, r- there's a moment in the 14 fifths of McCluskey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of Rick. I just think it's, I think that is such an incredible title of, of McCluskey. Rick literally torching Nazis from a balcony, but yeah. th- there's, uh, there's some other moments that might be worth noting. Um, like when they come back from Europe and, uh, Rick, or Cliff is pushing their luggage in the airport, and there's like this like mural behind him. It's the same mural that yeah. Jackie Brown is walking on when she comes in. Yep, it's the LAX. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. There's like a Whataburger, or not Whataburger. What's oh, and 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 actually, interestingly, that tile mosaic is also the same that Benjamin Braddock walks uh, by in the opening shots of the graduate. Oh, I wonder and if there's Mrs. some reference there. Well, Mrs. Robinson, the song is on this soundtrack. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, was it just it like was, clipped uh, to the radio real quick? Yeah. It's a, it's a, cu- a good, good little section of it. That's the other thing. The, when, the use of the radio as the medium for delivering the soundtrack. I'm like, yeah, genius. Brilliant. Yeah. It's, I believe, uh, Mrs. Robinson starts in the moment where Cliff first sees the, uh, hippie girl, um, and there, and she walks by the crosswalk, mm. and Mrs. Robinson kicks in as he's going up to Rick's house. Right. Um, yeah. So, so there's definitely graduate references there. I'm sorry, but yeah. So, so you get the Jackie Brown moment. Uh, yeah, and then Cliff, Rick. I keep confusing him. <laughs> Rick says something about Big Apple cigarettes. Yep. Of uh, course. I don't know. There's there's a few others. Here we go. My favorite one is is really subtle and is uh, a reference of a reference, but it's the great shot as Cliff is coming back to back home to his little trailer that he lives in by the drive-in movie oh, theater. Oh right! 
And you get this tracking crane tracking shot over like the big screen of the movie theater as Cliff is driving in. And you, you hear a little bit of the audio and it's the feature presentation music mm-hmm. from these like old B movies of the era that Quentin uses at the beginning of some of his other movies like Kill Bill. Right. Yes. Yeah. I so it's this that that we were watching it and I was that song came on I was like why do I know this song? I'm like yeah. oh it's like a fake preview or a fake um like studio intro for his it's movies. It's the it's the feature presentation. Yes. Card. Yes, that's what yeah. it is with the tie-dye. And he uses that. Yeah, with the tie-dye and the swirl. Yeah. And and it's just this little audio tag that he puts at the beginning of some of his movies. And and that was a real thing that was really played before movies, but for me, I only know it because of him. So I right. hear it and think, and I I think Kill Bill, and then I think about that trailer with the snake because Cliff is walking up to a trailer. I know. Well, and that's the other thing. The guy who plays uh, the brother in oh yeah, Michael Madsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. in this, but it's like a similar. It's like also a reference to Hateful Eight of like. It's like the same exact character, like yeah. Bandana and everything. Yeah. But the last one that I love, which is a callback to my honorary mention of Death Proof, is Kurt Russell and Zoe Bell are a yeah. couple, and they're literally the stars <laughs> of Death Proof. Oh my god! Except for they're not a couple. Yes. They're, uh, you know, and she's uh, a no. stunt woman in that movie. Yeah, and she's a stunt woman in real life. Well, yeah, yeah, she plays yeah. the stunt woman in the movie because she was like an amazing actor and, and does that incredible stunt death proof is insane i know <laughs> it gets no respect can't get no respect it gets no respect uh, no one talks about it am i wrong <clears throat> like who talks about death proof when it comes to quentin i i don't know it's, people should talk about it more it's really that good. gimmick just um, destroyed it you know uh i got two i got two quick things these are uh, recurring references uh not to quentin tarantino movies but to our podcast um so this is the uh, second movie with a really good use of macaroni and cheese uh, okay uh the first was our first episode um and then obviously which is the, uh cliff in his trailer yeah cliff in his trailer with the mac and cheese yeah we got to point it we got to tell, oh, yeah, tell yeah, the yeah, people yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the other one I just said, but it's the use of Mrs. Robinson and the uh, graduate references. Yeah, we need, we're, we're uh, building our own cinematic universe over here. Yeah, it's our own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and all of it now, our patron saint, saint in the form of Marvin Schwartz and his cognac and cigars. Cognac? Yeah, <laughs> what a vibe. His little shuffle back to his seat is how I want to live my life. And part of it probably is also he has a home theater, I know, which looks I know. probably exactly like Quentin's home theater. I mean, you, but, oh. you know that he just every day is like, all right, I'm going to put a screening on of this. It, you know? it's, and it's not just I watched, I watched, I watched Tana and the 14 Fist of McCluskey. It's I got a 35 millimeter print. And this morning I went into work early and watched episodes of Bounty Law on 16 millimeter. Right. Like it's it's the specifications of I need you to know that I saw it in the on film and the way it was meant to. Right. It's so great. It's like audio files. Um. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I love this movie. I don't know. It's fun. It's a good hang. But I also do. I mean, it's there's a lot there in terms of, and, and this is why I like it because I do feel like it it draws me into a lot more feelings and reflections yep. than a lot of other Tarantino stuff. Yep. 
um, in, because he's he, this is a movie of a mature director right who's confident and is trying to say something and like Tarantino is however old he is um, and he's got like a young child mm-hmm. for the first time in his life like he's at a weird stage right and I think this movie is um, I think this movie demonstrates that um, yeah he's 58 um, and, and and I that's why I love it I just think I think it, he's really he's really trying to get at the heart of people um, in this in a way that he doesn't often attempt right I think why Once Upon a Time is my favorite for him, just definitively, is it's the one that I I, I want to hang out in the most. And it's is so yes. not dictated based off of like set pieces of, of extreme violence or mm-hmm. or like dread or um I don't know, like these bigger scenes that you really have to like be in. But it's mm-hmm. kind of a like like I said earlier, like the lazy river until the end. Yeah, yeah. And it's so much it's so much more of a joy to hang out in this movie than some of his other work, for sure. Not to say um, the other work isn't amazing, but in terms of just like I, coming back. I've only to, seen this is wild. I've only seen Django once. Me too. I think I've only seen it <laughs> once. I've I've only seen it once. I saw it in theaters, and I and I, I, I saw it. I didn't feel the need to come back to it. Yeah, I saw it in theaters on Christmas Day, um, and I liked it. And it was a Tarantino movie, but it was hard. It was not like, uh, and and it's weird too because that one has been so uh, memed over the years with all the Leo oh, stuff, right. you know that the Leo <laughs> character. Yes, yeah, um, and yeah, that one's been so memed, but it's the one I've seen the least of anything he's done. I forget that Leo's uh, in that one too. I, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's all those stories about how he really cut his hand in that scene where he broke the glass and he just kept good, kept going. Right. And that's the take they use. Like, uh, It's like that's definitely a cool anecdote, but also like that's the one thing that people talk about from a movie. I, I know, I know. But but it's like it definitely had – it was definitely a, a kind of a big deal pop movie for him. Yeah. Um, it did really well um, financially for him. Yeah, sold a bunch uh, of posters, I would imagine. I think Django. Actually, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Django is his highest grossed, his highest grossing movie. That makes sense. Yeah, Jamie Fox, um, Leo, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is number two, um, which also makes sense. Um, all right, Mitchell, you want to move on to segments? Let's do it. All right, what? Uh, let's talk about favorite shots. Do you have one for this movie? You know, I don't know if I do actually. You know, it's weird. But I feel like I just like segments or montages, you know? Sure. Um, I love, <laughs> I just love him in that pool. Maybe because it's 111 here, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, at night in a pool and perfectly comfortable with some, the radio going. Uh, I do like the pool shot. But yeah, I feel like there's more scenes or segments. What's a favorite favorite moment sequence or scene or something um i i love when all the neon signs come on but it, i wouldn't call it my favorite yeah. moment of the movie i love anytime brad pitt is driving around at night in hollywood yeah but there's so much good 
driving from the back seat camera. Yeah. You know, like ripping through the Hollywood Hills with the radio blasting. Yep. I don't know. I might have to come back to it. Hit me with yours. I have a favorite shot that was like a new favorite shot to me on this rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the sequence where Sharon Tate is going to watch the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. And um, she gets into the theater. They, they finally recognize her maybe. And the usher invites her in. He says, do you want any refreshments? She says, no, I'm good. And then it's a shot of Margot Robbie from behind as she's opening the doors into the theater hmm. and like coming into this other world. And wow, I need to boot up the DVD again because I don't remember this moment. Yeah, um, it is. It's so. It so speaks to me and what that moment really is every time I go to the movie theaters mm. and he captured it so well and that feeling too like she gets in a little bit late so the trailers are already going and already in progress so something's already happening people are already laughing in the theater yeah and that moment of walking in as the trailers are happening oh what movie is this and finding your seat yeah and this is this kind of follow you know shot following her into the theater and uh, and and she changes her 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 gait, her her the way she walks as soon as she steps into the theater, she almost now is moving in rhythm with the the music and the trailer that's on the screen, and it's this transporting her into this different world, and he captures so perfectly well. I mean, who who else would? Mm. Um, what it is like the joy to walk into a movie theater, right? <laughs> it's it's so good. I love a lot of the shots in that. I mean, yeah, the, the shots of. Um, Sharon watching the Wrecking Crew are great. Um, so that's a, that's kind of a new favorite for me. Yeah. This rewatch, um, probably just feeling a lot of nostalgia for movie theaters these days. Right. Um, but and then I just liked all this, the driving stuff with Cliff. It, anytime Brad Pitt's driving a car around Hollywood, yeah, it looks amazing. There's some good Spawn Ranch stuff. My favorite mm, probably yeah. segment is just Leo in his trailer losing his mind. Yeah, um, but well, I think it's a good call. And and actually, there is a long take in there that's, you know, is a it's a good shot. Yeah, yeah, where it's like post, like a little bit of destruction in the room, yeah, and below smoke going. Um, yeah, <laughs> Leo's just he speaks to me in this movie because my other <laughs> moment that I'm thinking about now is him that's when he's making the him having it's him at the car with the giant blender of margaritas like it's so yeah i know the the blender is so full of margaritas and he's such an old man energy get off my lawn and he's so yeah and it's like we hate them too because they're horrible monsters i know what you come here you guys have come here to smoke dope in the dark (laughs) Uh, and he takes a big old swig of it when he tells them to leave. He's like, <laughs> in his in his like satin bathrobe. Yeah, the contrast of that is a nice moment. He's so visceral with food, even when he cracks the ice out of the ice tray. Oh, I know. Oh. I know. I know. It's I'm so like, messy. I can like it's hot here in Reading, and I, I see that ice, and I say yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. So well, I don't know. Yeah. We'll we'll pick one for the gram, but. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just it's a beautiful movie. It's it's. Um, I just I want to hang out. I want to live in that world. Yeah. Um, and and I also say, speaking of that, you know, that you t- you mentioned that Leo's trailer and the dustiness in the air, mm-hmm. and I think 
I just I just feel viscerally feel that everything is soaked in alcohol and cigarette smoke right. in this movie. Which how in, great in is a that? way that I can <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 like terrible, but also like nice. there's some nostalgia there for for that. Uh, for us with like family members who grew up 100%. when we grew up smoked. I visit some um, family members that just have headaches the whole time. Headaches the whole time. <laughs> they're just billows consuming you. Uh, but but it, the the way that he communicates that um, it, it through through images is incredible. So that's what's it. Your... That is it. <laughs> I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> Takes a swig. Uh, what's your uh, letterbox review? All right, I updated it today. I had it at four and a half, but no, now it's a strong no. five. So calm down. So calm yeah. down. It's a strong five. That's good. I just. I, again with letterbox i'm trying to get out of the what i think five should be and just what i feel you know what i'm saying yeah that's right because there's so few good movies i mean they're okay there's a lot of good movies but just in in uh you know ratio what else is like this in ratio to the amount of bad movies i just i know it's exhausting. I know. Like when I when I, I boot up Netflix and I'm like, oh my god, and they have they're like, what's new? I'm like, this is awful. I like I saw one on Hulu today. It was like false positive. Oh yeah, <laughs> I I saw the uh, this tweet. It was like the one I liked. <laughs> yeah, the the Rosemary's Baby <laughs> yeah. that we have at home. Yeah, it's like mom, I want Rosemary's Baby. We have Rosemary's Baby at home, and it's Rosemary's Baby at home. It's false positive. Like, exactly. <laughs> So I feel about uh, I know. 99% of movies I come across that are like now on Netflix. But yeah. uh and you've been yep. five for a minute. Yeah, five star. This was a pretty immediate five star movie for the first time I saw it. I loved it. Um This was definitely my and... favorite viewing of it the third time. Oh, really? Like I didn't like it as much the first I loved it, but I didn't love it this much in theaters. Yeah. This was one I I uh, my last trip to Ghana I brought it on the laptop with me, mm-hmm. and I'm always curious how Megan's gonna respond to something like this, and she was all in on it, and I thought maybe she'd either be bored by it or whatever, put off, but she she was like, oh, this is so fun, like yeah, I, I, and it and it really is still, and um, la- and lastly before we move on to our next segment, how we've gotten this far without talking about the dog food slipping out of the can <laughs> it's I, disgusting I, I don't know how but uh all right last segment what else are we watching i have a, yeah i have a feeling that you're gonna have a lot more to say this week than i will uh, it was weird because i i was like oh i haven't really i've been it was a really busy week and i haven't watched any movies but i watched like three movies like on sunday and monday wow <laughs> it's just been a few days um so Mitchell, what have you? What else have you watched? I'll share some of mine. What I watched this week was the NBA playoffs. Oh, <laughs> see, wow. that's the thing. That's the thing. Three, three to four weeks out of the year, my nights get overrun, and I don't even watch all the playoffs. I watch like second round and up, and yeah. so I've actually like every other night there's a game on, and that's what I've been watching. So that's been consuming my movie movie time. And to be mm-hmm. fair, there's a bit of a lull with movies right now. Sure. So that's um, literally all I got. I I, ha- I have three. I'm going to share these three. I'll be very quick about the first one. We watched Luca last weekend with Enoch. Luca's the new Disney Pixar movie. Thoughts? We were going to go 
to a theater. Call to me by see your name. Father's Day, but Pixar. Okay, I really I liked it. I actually really liked how low stakes it was. It's it's like second tier Pixar, but it's a bit of a like departure for them in terms of like themes. Yeah, it's just about like friendship and like nobody's gonna die. Right. There's, There's no existential <laughs> dread. Yeah. From the perspective of like, you know, a leaf or something. Yeah. It, it was just like, you know, these boys are friends and, you know, they're doing life and there's a bicycle race at the end. Like, and aren't they like fun. mermen or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, part of it is, you know, being comfortable with yourself and people accepting that and because they're, they're, they're sea monsters, but when they go out of the water, they look like humans. Mm. And so they are, infiltrate this human village and they want to enter a bicycle race um, with this girl who becomes a fast third friend in, the, in a trio right um it was it was really nice and just very pleasant movie mm-hmm. and funny and fun but i liked that it was kind of low stakes so uh, luca i watched uh bakurao um which is a um uh Bra- i think it was a brazilian um a foreign language film from 2019 um that I knew nothing about, but is streaming. It was like a streaming exclusive for Criterion Channel, mm. and I, I just heard that Baccarat was really good. Right, um, and it, it is a crazy movie. Really, it's like wild. Did you log it on Letterbox? My Letterbox review, Mitchell, to pique your interest, is Blood Meridian meets the most dangerous game oh, in Brazil. I did see you write that. And yeah. I was like, okay, Blood Meridian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because the, the movie's about colonialism and the violence that a colonial nation is born, is like necessarily born out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also involves humans hunting humans. Uh, <laughs> All right, I got to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, um, and yeah, it's good. Um, it was crazy, but the best movie I watched this week was um, uh, California Split. Have you ever heard of this, Mitchell? Never. 1974, California Split. Or it's a Robert Altman movie, and it's got George Siegel, who just passed away, um, I think in May, and then Elliot Gould. Um, and it's about these two basically degenerate gamblers who... Um, You're already speaking my language. I, yeah. Who, uh, like, the movie is them just, like, gambling in different places um and they go on this crazy streak at the end and it's very fun and sad at the same time and uh i i just loved it it was it very similar like good hang movie with these two guys who are becoming friends right and watching them play poker and roulette and craps and it doesn't glorify any of the gambling. I think the movie really is like... This is destructive. This is the, yeah, this is the destructive, sad state of gambling in America. Um, but uh, the the central performance is like just so fun. And Where did you watch it? That's also on Criterion. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, check yeah. those out, listeners. Uh, it is also apparently playing for free on Tubi. Good old Tube. The Tubes. Uh, yeah, check out California Split. I, Mitchell, you would like that movie a lot, I think. I'm going to hit it up. Um, yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, that does it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We could probably do two or three more episodes on this movie. Um, Feels This one has gone by very quickly. I, and I'm like, wait, wait, we can't be done talking about it. There's so much more I, to talk about. I know. I know. There's plenty more. Uh, but we'll save it for the next Quentin movie. We'll, we'll when get it, our... Whenever that is. Yeah, whenever that is. Uh, maybe we'll turn it into a book club and I'll talk about the novelization. Yay. <laughs> if there's one thing that's more popular than movie podcasts, it's book podcasts. <laughs> All right, so Mitchell, what are we watching next week? No oh, we're watching No Sudden Move. Okay, that's out. Yeah. When when is yeah. that coming out? Like July first. July first. Yeah. Hey, are you seeing it in a theater? Uh, no, it's going to be on HBO Max. Oh, it's not in theaters. Uh, it'll be in theaters. Oh, I might try to go see it in a movie theater. Yeah, it comes out uh, July first. Well, heck yeah. No sun move. Yeah. Starring? Oh, st- st- the list is a lot ridiculous. Of, uh, starring a lot of people, but all you need to know is that John Hamm is in this movie. <laughs> and and it takes place in like the 60s or something. Yeah. So, no, so Don Draper's Don in this Cheadle, movie. Yeah. Don Cheadle, Benicio del Toro, John Hamm, Col- Ray Liotta, That Culkin kid Kier- from yeah, Succession. Kieran Culkin, amazing. And is directed by, um, directed by Steven Soderbergh, one of my favorites. It's our With first an Soderbergh iPhone. movie. Um, he did not direct this with an iPhone. Uh, so he says. Uh, <laughs> um, but It just looks like uh, a silly goose time. Oh, it's going to be so fun. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Steven Soderbergh's great. This cast looks awesome. Um, can't wait to... Oh, it's currently got 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. So wow. That's, uh, that's great. I hope that holds. I'm very um, excited for this. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we'll watch No Sudden Move. You can watch No Sudden Move on HBO Max uh, starting July 1st. I think this episode will probably come out right around July 1st or so, uh, maybe a little bit before that. But we'll watch it, and then we'll record the episode. Um, yeah, this this first weekend of this movie being released. So excited. We're in July. We're in this great season. Movie season's back, baby. I know. Movies are back. I feel it. I'm excited. Uh, Mitchell, in the meantime, where can people find us? On Instagram, basically, that's it. Twitter yeah, is pretty dead. Much. <laughs> and even Instagram. This week was slow, but I'm back on it. I'm getting back on it. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, at Movies While I Sleep. Uh, and if you can, write us a review. Leave us a rating. Helps the show get heard and seen uh, by fellow movie lovers. And that's, yes. frankly, what we want. So... Uh, or oh, that. You know what I I said last week that I would read any new reviews we got. Did we get some? We got a new review. Uh oh. I'm gonna read this one. It says I love this review. Uh, movie the title of the review movie podcast better than the movies. Whoa, not big deal. I can't say I agree <laughs> at all. Uh, I'm not even a movie person, but I love this podcast so much. I always can't wait for them to come out with a new one. Wow, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate it. Wait, yeah, whoever wrote that in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram, and we will see you next week for No Sudden Moves. No Sudden Moves. Don Draper's back, everybody. <laughs> All right. Good night, y'all. Bye. Player Chili Pepper Hard Out. <laughs>